whatever it is, this is your moment. This is our moment to actually create an experience that can actually shift the very trajectory of this world. It's not about just us voting, but it's also about us casting our talents in this moment, casting our brilliance in this moment. And that's what I think true friendship and what Charlene does for me and what this moment is calling forth. This moment is calling forth a people who will not hide, a people who will bring their gift to the forefront of a world that needs desperately our brilliance. I think at, at, at our core, both of us will say, well, I'm an organizer. And it's because of that. Like you can't be an organizer if you don't live your life with love and hope. Hey everybody, I'm Lisa Anderson. And I'm Mackie Austin. And this is the Friends for Life podcast from Auburn Seminary. It's our sixth episode. We knew when we started that we were heading toward the election and we wanted to bring friends to help y'all figure out the way. Yeah, and um, we've had a great run with that. And this last group of friends that we've had an opportunity to bring together feels like they brought us kind of full circle in a way um, with our faith-rooted, spirit-rooted podcast um, these were our theologians, I would say, Rodney McKenzie and Charlene Sinclair. Rodney McKenzie is Vice President for Ally Development at the Fetzer Institute, where uh, Rodney has just arrived. Rodney before was at Demos, a quote-unquote think-and-do tank that powers the movement for a just, inclusive, multiracial democracy. But Rodney has a really beautiful, broad background that includes being an organizer at the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, a philanthropic organizer at Resource Generation, a church leader uh, with the Expansion Church, and a deep Southerner from Dallas, Texas. Mm. And Dr. Charlene Sinclair describes herself as a woman who has been an organizer her whole life. She is the principal of InSync Consulting, a consulting firm that provides strategic and organizational development assistance to social justice organizations and progressive grant makers. And she's the founding director of the Center for Race, Religion, and Economic Democracy. She also did her PhD at Union Seminary and studied with the father of Black liberation theology, James Cohn. Thanks, y'all, for being with us today and uh, on this ride. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also send us an email at friends at auburnseminary.org. All right, then. With that, let's just get right into it with Rodney and Charlene. Here we go. Here we are, post-election, but not election season, because we got those runoffs. Um, in and just a lot going on. Who's got your back when you think of just now and just in life? Yeah. Great question. It's so good to be here with you all. Thank you all for inviting uh, myself and Charlene to be in conversation with you good folks. It's always a pleasure to be with old friends, like people who you have history with and folks that you know that you may not see all the time, but once you see them, you know you're in good company because you have something in common that is greater than uh, words, right? It's, it's greater than 
mere words. It's a it's a heartfelt energy that that feels like you've known each other for many lifetimes. So thank you all for that. You know, I, I don't want to be that person, but I have to say the person that has my back in this moment is Charlene Sinclair. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, Charlene and I have been friends for, I don't even know how long, Charlene. I don't, know, I don't even know when we started. Just don't age me. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> don't age me, girl. Um, but, but I just remember just there was a moment where I was, I remember waking up and knowing how important you are to me. And over the last few years, uh, especially, I think when I think about uh, key moments in my life, you and I have been in conversation with each other. And uh, Charlene and I have been working together and, and realizing, I think, or at least my experience of it has been, is that, th- that you have these soulmates that you enjoy, who you understand, who get you, that can push you and tell the truth, that uncomfortable truth sometimes. Um, and they can they can uh, ask you questions about, are you allowing yourself to be all that you are or are you hiding? And it's easy to hide in a world that actually calls for you to hide. Uh, it's easy to, to hide in a world that is that is based on capitalism. So if you hide, then you need to pay someone to help you unhide. Right, And so to have a relationship and a friendship where someone sees you, knows you, loves you unconditionally, even when you are messy and celebrates that mess with you, is, um, is someone who has you. And so I think of Charlene, I think of you, Charlene, all the time about that uh, in, in that way as someone who has my back, uh, who is my chosen family uh, in a way that is really just touching and moving to me. That's what I would say. Wow, that's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. I mean, the the theme of the person that doesn't let you hide, but has you in the mess. That's really good. That's really good. Charlene, um, I'm interested in how you're going to answer that question. Who has your back? Yeah, I was just thinking how beautiful that was. That was such a love song. Thank you for that amazing love song. And, uh, you know, I remember the moment I met Rodney. We were, I could tell you, we were in front of these big windows in a brownstone in Harlem, Mm -hmm. near Lennox, like in the corner. And with people around and just when you say like souls touching, this man just it was like we knew what the other one would say like we have so many moments of filling each other's sentence that um that it was one of the most beautiful things ever and um it truly is a love song you know and even as you were talking you know I was listening to the question and Rodney was talking and there's not much more to say you know because I feel exactly the same way and when you said messy I, I immediately in my mind came yeah girl you know you could be messy and I love it and it, <laughs> but it's I it's this piece about um someone knowing your story mm-hmm. you know being able not just because you've told it 
but because they've lived it with you, mm-hmm. um, because they've journeyed with you. And, and so they know the story in the fullness of it. Um, I've always rejected the notion of, of friends at, on Facebook because we get to decide for ourselves what is the thing we share publicly. And to me, that's not a friend. You know, your friend is the person that you're sharing with even when you don't want to because they are so in the honesty of your life that they experience the fullness of it in um in all the the greatness in the messiness and you know quite honestly in those places of despair as mm-hmm. well and they can hold you through that and they can help you remember the arc because sometimes we are just so in especially in moments like this where like if you're an empath if you're a person that feels energy this these are hard times these are really, and you wonder sometimes, why Why am I feeling this way? What is going on? It seems small, but someone that knows you enough to say, girl, look at what's happening. This is what's going on for you right now because they've journeyed with you. Um, I think that that is, that's a beautiful thing. And um, my friendship with Rodney is one that I not only glory in, but that I really um celebrate in prayer mm. you know because it is it is it is a spiritual journey i believe um that we are both on together and and holding each other through so yeah. <laughs> i'm 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 a little speechless i really am um i wish i had something to add into that but I can feel a little emotional. (laughs) Mackie and I had a moment right before we got on the phone with y'all. And we were talking about uh, the point you made, Charlene, about being an empath and the hardness of these times and what friendship means. And we we didn't even have five minutes. Um, But I heard in his voice and he heard in my voice, the times are hard and how are we going to get through and the importance of friendship, not as a commodity, (laughs) not as racking up friends on social media and saying that those are my rider dies, but um, it's, it's what gets us through. I have just this little, little question. How, how many years have y'all been in it together? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, I was thinking of, I mean. Is there a time when we haven't known each other? That's what it feels like. I don't know if there, I mean, I feel like, because that that Harlem moment had to be at least, um, oh my God, at least 2003. It had to be. It was definitely before 2005, I think. not so literally we're ta- at minimally we're talking if let's say it was 2000 if i were probably talking about 15 years yep. um because i'm not sure if i had started union at that time or not i started union in 2005 so 
But the thing that's so fascinating is that we've followed each other unbeknownst to each other. That's like right. we've had each other's jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Even before we physically met and mm-hmm. people would say, but you got to know Rodney. Oh yeah. He's doing that thing. Or she's doing that thing you used to do. We, we had tons of friends in common, you yeah. know? Um, but uh, it's the Harlem moment happened when we were both at the same place because we had friends in common mm-hmm. and right. so ended up being at the same place. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So maybe this is like our ancestral spirits are like, where are they? Where are they? I'm coming to find that person. <laughs> yes. And then oh. once they enlightened, it was like, it's about time. Finally. Yeah. Now let's roll. That's right. That's so powerful. You know, last night I had this dream of a friend who who died. Uh, Lisa, who you know, I think. Did you ever know Alan Smith? I knew of Alan Smith. I didn't know him personally, but I know so many people that knew him that I felt like our worlds, our worlds were definitely interconnected. He was somebody at Union Seminary uh, and we were involved in ACT UP together and, and he died of AIDS. And um, I just like this ancestral piece and the fact that it'll go on forever. Yeah. Like he was, we were sleeping together last night mm-hmm. in my dream. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he had something to say. So I honor, I, I, uh, I just honor what we're in the presence of. Yes. Charlene and Rodney. And, you know, Lisa, when we were talking this morning, the piece that made me know it was going to be okay is when I said, are we having drinks at six? <laughs> you said, yeah, of course we are. And we do this weekly. And I think that that, that key, you know, the reason we're actually talking about this or one is to remember what the world healed feels like in the here and now, to hear witness of that in y'all's love for one another, to, to locate it in, now I'm talking to the listeners, like locating that where it lives in your own community uh, or past, or, 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 or it's a call for all of us to figure out how to be this for 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 folks uh in and around us you know what I, 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 I think a little bit about you know sometimes when we have these conversations this is the sixth right and it's like friendship greatest hits in a way and i have a heart for those too and for myself in those moments where you know that best friend he died i lost him sometimes we lose our beloveds because we just we don't hang in because mm-hmm. we break up or or we lose each other in a range of ways and so i just want to name that i also have a heart for that that time where we feel like we got no one because that's real too mm-hmm. for folks but the hope of i think hearing about the love you all share uh is sometimes uh what we've got as we're in the struggle. And you know, I just wanna I just wanna I just wanna put a space around, Charlene, what you say. This is a hard time we're talking in. It's not the first, but it's that's that's where we are at. 
And as we were anticipating some after, <laughs> we always knew it wasn't going to be a before and after, like, like, like in the fairy tales. And here we are. But these questions are, are hopefully uh, offerings for all of us to think about, all right, well, how do we, how do we make it now? Yeah. Can I dig into, like, I, I want to dig into what, what's hard about it, though, right? I think, um, I mean, you know, two thoughts that come up for me. One, it's funny that you all had a cover. I think we were both talking to each other, like Charlotte and I did a call probably at the same time that you all were doing a call. And Charlotte asked the question, what do you need? And I was like, girl, I need to write. And Charlotte said, okay, let's write. I'm going to write. We're going to write at six. So y'all going to be drinking, and we're going to be drinking, and we're going to be writing at but we had that same conversation this morning, right? And I think, and I think that's what's so fascinating about uh, like the hardness of this moment. You know, the, the challenge of this moment for me, and I'm curious what you think, Charlene, is that this moment forces uh, me to remember that there is no savior coming to get me. Mm-hmm. That there's no. Salvif- there's no someone that's going to die on the cross and make everything okay. It's already been done. That's already been done. Uh, got the t-shirt, it's done. But now in this moment, every gift that I have, everything that I've been hiding, every desire or dream that I've been sitting on and worried, am I good enough? Like, can I write it? Can I do it? Do I have something to say? All of that in this moment is being forced out of me. And it's almost like the this moment in our history is condemning in the most beautiful way. It's forcing me to ask the question, how am I choosing to hide from myself and to have friends in your life that's, that will say, you have been talking about this, like do it. I got you, you're brilliant. Write it, sing it, produce it, whatever it is. This is your moment. This is our moment to actually create an experience that can actually shift the very trajectory of this world. It's not about just us voting, but it's also about us casting our talents in this moment, casting our brilliance in this moment. And that's what I think true friendship and what Charlene does for me and what this moment is calling forth. This moment is calling forth a people who will not hide, a people who will bring their gift to the forefront of a world that needs desperately our brilliance. And so that's what makes it hard. I feel like the hardness forces us to come out again, to come out, to birth something new, to bring something out of ourselves that we were afraid to bring out. And that's what I'm finding hard about this moment because politically speaking, man, I don't know if this is harder than other historical moments. I just don't know. And actually the moments that we've celebrated were probably moments that we should have been mourning because we've been disappointed and we had hopes and ideas of what someone will do and it didn't happen. And our communities that we love, communities that, that have been disenfranchised, have, have voted, have hoped, and they've had the same experiences. Yeah. And so I just wonder if this is a different kind of moment where we bring out the gifts and the talents that are within us 
and we see something new. Mm. Yeah. I do. I do. I mean, the thing that, let me tell you what I, I've been pushing Rodney around. And so I'm glad that you're saying this, Rodney, because we were talking this morning about the very notion that um, his voice, our voice, the voice of people that both are uh, sober minded about the structures and the despair and the hardness, but that still remain loving and hopeful and want to cast that forward, not in a way that is um, fantastical, you know, not in a way that is, you know, just ignoring the reality of people's pain. But, you know, one of the things that, that Rodney talks about that I think is just so important is this idea of that birthing. And it's, it, this is what I, I mean about how our lives are so aligned because Rodney talked about, you know, the darkness and his work in Genesis around that darkness and coming out of the darkness. And in other spaces, I've talked about Genesis and that dark space as chaos that creates. And so, and then he talks about birthing and in my, my work on Revelation, I've talked about birthing. So, so we have these these ways in which I believe that we're constantly trying to move our lives towards this idea that we don't want to give up on anything. We don't yeah. want to give up on anybody. We don't want to um, spiral as though those chaotic and dark spaces are nothing at all, but are rather the most amazing opportunity mm -hmm. for all kinds of new things to arrive, right? I think at, at, at our core, both of us will say, well, I'm an organizer. And it's because of that. Like you can't be an organizer if you don't live your life with love and hope. That's right. That's right. Because everything around you says that it will not happen. It doesn't make sense what you're trying to achieve cannot possibly be brought into fruition. And it is your, your calling to call that a lie. You know, it is you, you're calling that the lie yep. and moving forward towards something that, you know, whether you see it or not, isn't that the call of faith, right. you know, whether you see it or not. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think that's the way in which um, we continue to excite each other too, yeah. even in moments like this. I remember, I remember Pauline, when you, um, when I went to Union, I don't know if you ever, I'll, I'll never forget this moment. We were sitting, uh, went to Union Theological Seminary and Charlie was like, boy, you should go to Union. And I was like, girl, I need to go to a seminary, whatever. And then I was like, two years later, I'm going to seminary, Shirley. <laughs> and you helped me with all the applications and all this stuff. and. But I'll never forget, you told me, you said, force union, never forget this, force every class to deal with the questions that you have, to deal with your experiences as a Black gay man, every class, make the class deal with your, with your central questions. And it, it changed my life because I was then, every class, I was bringing in my community, I was bringing the people I felt accountable to 
But then I think the thing I didn't appreciate what you were also doing was training or helping me see that every moment of hardness that I, again, I force the hard moments to make me question or to think about the communities that I'm with. So it's not just about me. Like, it's not just about like what Rodney, small Rodney believes, but actually if I have faith, if I have, if I believe all these things, how is this moment speaking not only to me, but to my community mm-hmm. and what are the gifts that I have within me that I force my gifts to wrestle with the moment that we're in. And I will never forget that, Charlene. That was like a huge aha moment. And it's the way that I see you operate in your life. I see the way that you are constantly thinking about uh, Black folks. I see the way that you have this love for, um, when when I was at Union, if there was any Black or Brown person that wanted help, Charlene would stop and support people, even even in the midst of her own doing her writing her own dissertations or write or teaching classes. But her love for the community and her love for this notion of her as a teacher, her as a guide, her as a supporter that can revolutionize and transform our communities was at the top. Felt like it was at the top of your mind and the top of your heart, and you taught many of us, including me how to live from that place as a gift of love, as a gift of ministry, you know, which I think what would happen if more of us understood or more of us saw these opportunities as an opportunity to bring in conversation with the, with our loved ones, with our gifts and our talents, and with the belief that we are truly an answer to the problems that we're seeing in our world. And I feel like you really lifted that up for me. Mm. Y'all making me think a lot about um, the power of a different understanding of creation and what is saving and salvific. Um, Like creation as in, you know, disruptive and multiple, like multiple creations, multiple moments where there's the possibility of the spirit breaking in and changing communities. And I love the forging of this conversation around the love of Blackness and Black people. Um, Because um, I just personally feel so much resonance with that theologically. Um, I know we have to go on to the next question, but I can't not say, this is the first conversation where we all Union Seminary people, I think, on, on the line. This is the first one. Oh, wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Maybe I have to put this on the website. Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> have to. All right. So with that in mind, the next question, the next sort of party game question is, where do you go to feel better? Y'all, we're, you know, Lisa and I at six are going to be drinking something and going to one another. And y'all will at six will be writing and being together in some way and we all went to Union Seminary. I don't know if we went to feel better or what, but we went and lots happened. But now, as we remember and think about where, how we are being resourceful uh, to, to, to feel, to get through, where do each of you go to feel better? I, you know, I can't speak for Rodney, 
but this our 6 p.m conversation is our is my my happy good place you know we we started uh doing like a weekly check-in a while ago that became just our daily i'm rolling over and i'm but <laughs> how you feeling today what's happening what's going on what's it you know and there was a couple of days ago i think or maybe it was a week ago and it, it was a Sunday and I heard from Rodney and I'm like, what's going on? He said, I didn't talk to you. I miss you. And I said, oh my God, I didn't want to call you because I felt needy. So, <laughs> but there is, there is a way in which this constant wrestling with our ideas, with our emotions, with the sense of possibility is such a happy place for me because it allows me to have the full breath of myself present. And honestly, when you talked about, we all went to Union Seminary, there are different people that I talk to about different things, you know, and to be able to actually have conversations that speak to, you know, just just despair, but then the love that we have of humanity and the love of Black people, and to speak from a place that is deeply committed to what it means to actually be a person of spirit and faith and know the possibilities of that. Again, sober-mindedly, not thumping a, a Bible and running around, and then break into song. Like, we will go from uh, baby, 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 all the way to this is the day, to the blood that was shed. I mean, we will just, and, and all of that will happen in 30 minutes. So you never know. <laughs> so, Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. <laughs> oh, I, okay, I want to keep singing. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think I think that is a, I mean, it is kind of, uh, uh, again, I, I don't want to be that person, but it is that, that it is a happy place uh, for me, I, I think. You know, I, I think as someone who, you know, who uh, grew up uh, having to kind of wrestle with what part of myself I can share to survive, right? So, you know, either A, I'm playing the, as a kid, playing the pronoun game, which I was really good at, you know, at, at 14, 15, like, okay, say he, you know, instead of saying he, say she. And so you could share so much of yourself uh, to your family or to people who loved you, who really loved you. But you played these games so that you could protect, you could protect yourself. Uh, and it was, a, it was a protecting of like, what would happen if they don't love you as much as they say you love you, right? So that, and then, or then protecting yourself from, friends who don't get your dream, who think it's too big. Or in, in reality, what you find as you get older, who's your dream forces them to wrestle with their own dreams, right? And so, but then to be uh, at a place in your life where you are, you can have someone who sees you, who understands and gets the magnitude of your dream and who isn't, who isn't insecure about it, but who's actually celebratory and celebrating about it and who also wants 
to um, who you also get to be in awe and in wonder of their dream too. It is like, it is like, it is a way of uh, talking about the erotic. I mean, talking about like, what does it mean to be turned on by someone in a non-sexual way? But that is like what I experience. I can have a call and be turned on by my dreams and by Charlene's dreams in such a way that I am inspired that I am like excited, that I can be transformed, right? By the experience of love, like like an undying radical love to be, what do they say? To be seen, to be naked and not ashamed. For Toni Morrison, a friend of my mind, right? To have that kind of love. I mean, that is the space that I, I look forward to the calls from Charlene. I look forward to when I'm on a call and see Charlene's name, and I'm like, I'm about to hang up on this call because I need to, I'm talking to Charlene, right? Like, it's like, that is like a happy, happy place. And I want, I think that, you know, the the thing that makes me sad is that so many of us uh, have not allowed ourselves to experience that kind of love. And for many of us, it's because of what we've learned or or what we've experienced. I love how Baldwin says, right, that uh, if he would have known or if his father would have told him how many people have suffered because of this inability to experience love, like this inability to have that kind of love in their lives beyond a romantic partner, but like someone who sees you and turns you on just by being seen is really a radical act, I think, and what this friendship provides for me. It is. And you know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking to myself, because I've been processing it in this call, and I'm realizing, you know, you talked about um, the different ways in which you've had to hide and what you share and what you don't share. And I think it, it, it doesn't occur to us sometimes that as a as a black woman who has experienced sexual violence physical violence who is sexualized even just by showing up in a room what it means to be in a deep and loving relationship with a black man that is one that feels honored and that feels safe that 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 um embraces as you said embraces my dreams that embraces you know like Rodney you'll tell me all the time you're so brilliant I'm like come on but because it's been um you know we we do we are trained so hard to shrink and to hide and to protect ourselves and to have a space where you are in a relationship that makes again a lie of all of that abuse and say that you are worthy of this deep, deep love that doesn't require you to 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 have to hide or to have to feel um, abused in the process, to belittle yourself, to to shelter yourself, but to stand in the sun that like the fullness is like a flower that a is allowed to just bloom and in so much of that blooming comes from 
knowing that um, that someone thinks you're precious yeah. and and wants to be in a precious love with you, and um, and and so that is, it, it. I think it is. We rarely think about the fact that so many of us have to to hide, to protect, yeah. to um, and are afraid of that kind of vulnerability. You know, I had mentioned to you, Rodney, I'm scared sometimes of being vulnerable because it means that, oh my God, something could happen to me. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's so right. to have a space where you get to experience vulnerability and therefore, because of the experience, you now can actually access it. You know, because you have the experience of it, you have the experience of knowing what it is and how it can feel and what it can do. You can now access it in in other spaces as a result of that. I love that, Charlene. I feel like you know, as a as a six foot five—that's my online height—but six foot four, <laughs> beautiful black man, big black man. Yes, black. that's both online and in person. Online and in person, but uh, but as someone who that my body is red very particularly like either a when i go to clubs or bars am i the mandingo like who what what am i not seen fully and see and my body red is many different ways as often not desirable because i'm too dark or too big or too this but to be in relationship with someone who sees me fully and to see me as beautiful or brilliant or worthy of to be heard is um, again, like just so radical. And so I experience like with us to be like, to be seen and not to be like, let me lose a hundred pounds and then you can love me, Mm -hmm. right? Or let me make this shift in my body and then I can be loved. But to be just seen like right now in this particular moment fully and to hear that I'm good or like just to hear your voice and hear the excitement in our conversations, that is like, um, that is to be healed. Yes. Oh, well, I'm crying. <laughs> um, I've never heard a better exegesis of to be naked and not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed, like how we were created. And I've also really got a sense in my soul when you were talking, both of you, about the fact that God deposits a piece of God's self into us mm-hmm. at our creation. And when we see an, uh, some, another human being fully, or others fully, and when we allow ourselves to be seen, that feels like that, to me, the evidence of that spark. Um, you, yeah, Lisa, I love that you said that because, you know, since the, the piece, the biblical piece, that I use around that is when we talk about knowing you in the womb, like it's, it is so important to get to the place where we are known before 
everything gets deposited upon us that strips us of all sense of our divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's the getting to me. That's the essence of a deep friendship. Yeah. You know, it is knowing my divinity before the world deposited everything that made me question it. Mm. You know, it's helping me get back to being known, mm-hmm. you know, um, before all of that. That's the beauty. It's like, you know, if we are a, we are divine, then we have also the capacity to know each other mm-hmm. in our divinity before all of the toxic deposits yeah. have occurred. Mm. I love that because I, I think about when I when I had a church, uh, I was so turned on by this idea of like the ancient idea of Lucifer as a friend, right? Lucifer as that angel that reminded you of what you knew and what you didn't know, what you didn't know. And so the great tempter would come to support you in being clear. So do you know that you love yourself? Do you know that you're worthy in the midst of a relationship that has been speaking to you and showing you that you may think you're unworthy, right? And so actually providing you opportunities to prove or or like the way I like to think about it, to name yourself in the midst of when you forget your own name. And so I feel like good relationships provide too is when when I have those moments of amnesia, where I start answering to the name of unworthy or I start, I'm in a role where I begin to feel like I am not brilliant or that I can't do it. I have a, I have a friend who can remind me to remember who I truly am. And that has been like, that's why I wonder, Shirley, when we keep talking about this darkness versus light, I'm like, are we too obsessed with the light and are we not willing to celebrate the darkness because in my life the moments of darkness have been the moments where I have learned who I really am and I don't believe that the darkness is bad like I just can't buy that because not only am I too dark to believe that and not only do too many of family members who I know who I love and know are dark but it's because I have found that when I, when I can't see and I'm forced to name myself, I experience an awakening that is transformative, that changes my life. And that I can actually bring lightness within me to any situation and experience. Yeah, I think that you bring not lightness, but a constant creativeness. I love that. You know, that's yeah. the thing. It's like, you know, we... We think about, uh, I remember when I took Hebrew for the first time and and we did Genesis and I was just, I thought I was just a cat's meow. I love some Hebrew. I was reading, translating, doing all kinds of backwards and forwards. But the thing that stuck with me, I can't read a single bit of Hebrew now, but what stuck with me was the way in which my professor, I will always remember um, Carson at Union here in in, um, Virginia, talked about that space. There's not even a word for it because it is, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. Somebody that knows Hebrew will tell me. It's like some kind of or something. It was like this, this, 
really it's I'm mean, just that's how I thought it in my mind. Like this roiling space that is so that has so much depth and that is like unspeakable, right? Mm-hmm. It is it's it's chaotic, unspeakable. There's no real word that can describe it. But that was the place in which God entered in to create. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't, the, the, even the Bible didn't say that God waited for the sun to come out to move us to light. It was that God entered into that unspeakable space of all kinds of roiling things. And out of that, created right? And we get to do that too. Mm-hmm. And God created what was important to God in that moment. Mm-hmm. And we get to create what is important to us in all of those moments, you know, because it's not a once and for all, because even God said, mm, now I find something is missing. Let me do this. Mm. I find something else is missing. Let me do this. Oh, I'm kind of tired right now. It looks good. You know, so what would it look like if we gave ourselves permission to constantly enter in to those moments and know that we have the power to create what makes sense for us on the other side and that it is a constant journey, not one that is forevermore. That'll preach. I I was about to say, I was going to start shouting. I was about to shout. And this is the word for right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. That's exactly right. I mean, that's the, the, I love how that wraps back out to the beginning, right? Like, how do we view these moments? How do we bring ourselves to these moments? And how we recognize that there's a gift or a dream that we've been hiding or holding, right? that actually this moment calls to bring all of ourselves out, I mean, from the hiding, or bring out all those gifts and all those gems, because that is actually the thing that will transform the very experience that we're having collectively. And so I'm really obsessed with that idea that actually that we, as that where God resides in us, as us, and does its work through us, how do we then bring out God through these hands, through these mouths, through these eyes? And I think that is what, I feel like that has been the great sin that I've experienced, is that I have experienced going to church and then waiting for God to arrive when actually God has already arrived, (laughs) waiting for us to do it, waiting for us to say yes to that which we have been obsessed with and that which we have been called to do from the very beginning of time. Um, So yes, I really appreciate that. Good word, Reverend Dr. Bishop Saint. Saint, did you really? If another person puts Reverend in front of my name, I don't. <laughs> Damn. Okay, so this is like, this is the corniest segue, but this is like music. 
It is like music. And you all alluded to there being lots of music in your relationship. So um, I want to know a little bit about this, the music, the song that gets you through. Um, and, and thinking just right now in this moment, what's the sound of, of now? It's mm. mm. a good one. That is a good one. I I love music. Uh, it will break into song at any moment. <laughs> carry a tune. You have hit on the thing that my family have consistently. Um, see, they tell me not to sing all the time, but I will break into a tune. I even had we um, did phone phone and text banking. Man, I had those text bankers singing Barry Manilow. Even I will break into a tune. <laughs> When Rodney said, we said, thank you for being a friend. We know all the words. <laughs> um, but I am from, Jer I grew up in Jersey. Born in South America, grew up in Jersey. And so I've got my, um, my two vibes, my redemption song vibe. And so that is one vibe. And then I've got a house vibe. There's this house song called Sweat. And the, the lyrics are, brothers and sisters, do you understand? We've got the sweat to free this land. And so I've got, you know, and what's great is that in, when you do sweat, I guess it, yeah, I'm going to say this because sweat, we got to sweat to free this land. And then it said, I can feel it in my feet. I can feel it, you know, so it is the the idea of joy and and movement and that it's gonna it's gonna take some work. It's gonna take some work. So I've got my redemption song vibe, which is really about, you know, how do we begin to unpack all that has been uh like I did a lot of work on Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation. So it is, for me, Redemption Song is the lyrical version of Revelation because it talks about, um, you know, the the how the pirates, you know, they, they robbed us in Revelation. They talk about like how bodies and souls of men are being sold. And, you know, and it talks about, you know, um, how we are captured in our minds and that that's the part that's going to need to be done to free us. And, and you know, in Revelation, it talks about, you know, this the creation of the beast and how the beast takes different forms to capture us in. So for me, Revelation is the lyrical um, redemption song is the lyrical version of of uh, revelations to me. So those are my two sort of go to songs. Yeah, I've been I've been obsessed with songs like the last week. I've been like listening to music like crazy. Um, but the two songs that come up for me is "I Am Light" by India Ari. Oh, you yeah, know that song. to me. Yes. Um, yeah, I was like, I was like just crying and going through it. Like I was, you know, I'm from a, I'm from a uh, Pentecostal church. I didn't even know what Pentecostal was. Let me be honest. I'm from a holiness church. That's why you shout all the time. That's why I shout all the time. That's why you run yeah, around the all the time. <laughs> I was told, you know, the Bible says holy Bible, so that's why we're holiness. That's what I was told. So. <laughs> <That's all I do. laughs> So uh, this queen was shot in a minute. So in the RE, 
she brings she makes me want to like just shout. And there's something so like about that song where it is like I feel like it is like prophetic. Mm-hmm. It's like you not you are light. You are where God does its work. You are worthy. You are. I'm like afterwards. Yeah, you are just a mess. And if you're not a mess, play it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you will be a mess. <laughs> um, but you know the other the other person puts me through it is Erica Badu. Mm. Like um I oh, want to say it's poetry philosophy, but there's some of these songs that I'm just like come through Erica, right? Like it is like I feel like I hear it and I hear our ancestors. Um I hear my ancestors, I hear the rhythm, I hear the the note and I hear the words are coming from a deep soulful place. Um and so um, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, when I grew up, I remember there's one song, uh, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. Oh, and I remember my aunt oh, would go up yeah. to the front. What? Come on. And she would start <laughs> singing that song. And the saints would start singing how that they're a soldier in the army of the Lord. And there was something about knowing that we are like called to fight. And that's what I was like. Oh, this ain't no passive <laughs> faith. Like these folks had to prepare themselves for warfare. Like, how do you, as a black person in South Dallas, Texas, where I'm from, where every other house when I remember as a kid was a drug house or a crack house, something like that, and they would go to the church and be called saints yeah. instead of all the other words they were called Monday through Friday. And then they started singing some revolutionary songs that they're a soldier in the arm of the Lord to prepare themselves for the level of racism that they were about to experience on the job or sexism that they were about to experience on the job or the, the number of grand, or I remember the saints would stand up and talk about the grandchild, the grandbaby that just died. Like, like that to me is like, I think about those moments and how the music was used to transform people from from like despair to like okay you got this we got i got you like i got you even for even if just even just for a week so you can get energized again uh, to deal with the next week i can see the folks boy i can see our folks like just marshalling all of their strength from yes. the songs, marshalling everything that they had. That's right. Um, I can see my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, my brothers right now, all of my brothers who are getting in their cars, worrying, That's right. driving down the street, whether they're going to get back home. That's right. Um, yeah. Oh. Y'all are blessing us. I'm telling you, you're blessing. You're blessing me. It's funny because, in, you know, when I went to when I went to seminary, I actually had a critique, like I didn't understand fully the theological underpinnings of the church I grew up as a kid. I just didn't get it mm-hmm. because I kept wondering, like, why is it so focused on like this other heaven, this this moment of like that they had to die to experience something different. And I was angry about it. But the more that I opened my heart and realized like, 
how revolutionary that was mm-hmm. and how people who have everything against them could find a space or create a space to actually have enough hope to survive and even to thrive for a week. Like that it need, you needed that much love yes. to get to the next week. Mm-hmm. That is like, it's like, it's like profound to me. It's I, profound. Absolutely. I feel like when it's too, when it gets, I think that the, the filter, and I think it's a capitalist filter. I think it's a white supremacist filter that denigrates um, like what people are actually bringing to those traditions that we're talking about. It's so hard out here. When we're dreaming of a new heaven, that's, to me, that's proto-Afrofuturism. Yeah. They were still getting up and going to work every day. They were still caring for their children. They were still dreaming that this child that comes after me will have more than I do. So it wasn't yeah. this fantasy. It wasn't Disney World. It wasn't plastic. It it's a revolutionary hope. And yeah. And I think that all of that gets perverted inside of prosperity gospels and and capitalism and other different kinds of things. But when you think about the folks where that originated from, and like you said, Rodney, who said, I need this week, I need to get from Sunday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's powerful. Well, you know, I went to seminary because that was so powerful. You know, I wasn't in a church when I went to seminary. I was an organizer. And, you know, a lot of left organizing spaces denigrated faith. And I would say, well, but how can you do that when you have people that are risking their lives, risking their jobs, risking even being safe in their communities uh, for something they can't see? or something that is completely outside of anything that they've ever experienced. What is driving them to do that? And so I went to seminary to actually study that kind of faith. What does that mean? And, um, and you know, I have an interesting uh, hypothesis that, uh, that I'd, I'll raise is that was it so powerful? You know, we saw what faith can do all around the world. Like we've seen what a deep belief can do. And maybe the the um, pervertedness, which I think is intentional, the intentional pervertedness of it is so that the power of it cannot be actualized by people. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I didn't grow up with my faith being determined on the basis of whether I believe in homosexuality or not, or whether I believe in abortion or not. For those to be the markers now of whether you are a true believer, they didn't happen overnight. You know, that was an intentional process of reorganizing our spiritual life around those two conceptions. Yes. Right. And so if you think about it, you know, was that the, and and I keep thinking, y'all just are getting me in this space where I'm just thinking a lot, like this whole thing about 
uh, revelation was the idea that you capture what people believe and you distort it. You turn it into a different kind of beast, right? And then the people can think that they are actually doing something revolutionary when they are really worshiping the beast. And so, you know, Amen. That'll preach again. <laughs> God dog. No, but think about it. We, you know, we're all of a certain age, right? Did we grow up hearing pastors preach from the pulpit about those things? Not at all. No. We grew up pre- hearing pastors preach about possibility like you said a new heaven on earth a new heaven and you know like the biggest critique i would have is like come on now if i smoke a cigarette i ain't gonna have it like that was like one of the biggest critiques and for now that that faith is grounded on your ability to throw away people yep that's actually what it's grounded on your ability to say that X people don't belong in the community of God. There is no beloved community. There is only the people that believe what I believe. You know, that's where what we have come to. That nope. didn't just happen. That was there was an intentionality around. Wait, there is power in the idea that together, because it wasn't individualistic either, right? There is power in the idea of beloved community. There is power in the idea that together we can actually say no to a world that wants to destroy us. Together we can march towards something different and we will sing and call upon the name of God to push us forward, to help us, to move us forward. There is power in that and it showed up. And so then the question becomes, how can I fracture this beloved community? That's right. This is the this word, is the word for, for When I think of this moment and what our communities need to really do the embodied education, not just tell our heads, but make it possible for us to know in our flesh where um, the depth of what the divine means for us has been distorted and how we can take and how we can take it back. Um, It relates again to Rodney, what you say at the very beginning about, about not hiding and being big. Um, I think that this is the word for this moment as we are moving forward to, to, to press against despair and to take us from a place where we feel like, well, is it just the the crassness of um, you vote, you're in a system, you're in a structure that you can't move around and away from? I just I think that that reclaiming that that vital spiritual space that Charlene is talking about. I'm looking at all everybody's faces in yeah. in, in and I see awe and I see tears and because you're just touching at the at the soul of I think where we are right now. And also I think there's something beautiful about those of us who live in the liminal spaces. Those of us who live in the space of uh, that we are seen as the other. 
right? Where we are seen as the ones who are quote unquote powerless. And these are the folks who are powerful, whether it's about our race, whether it's about our sexual orientation, whether it's about our class, but there's, there's a way in which we can see the world very clearly that our other siblings cannot see. So the thing that comes up for me in these moments is, you know, uh, Charlene, I, I love what you said around the preachers. Like my preacher actually did preach uh, every Sunday about homosexuality. But my grandmother was like, child, don't pay him no mind. He's going through something, right? <laughs> so there was a resistance, right? There was a resistance that she was like pushing in me that I don't fully think I could hear. But she was like, we don't hear everything he says. We don't take everything he says as, as the gospel truth. So, I mean, but there was something beautiful about that that she could hear and push back and that the other women of her church pushed back. Uh, and even when I studied the whole prosperity gospel movement, the thing that I was moved by was that the original black preachers wanted to provide their community some place to have hope again. And there was a way in which I think this notion of having hope again, but also this way of seeing that I actually think our communities get it in a way that we don't give ourselves credit for. Like who's, who, who are the ones that are actually saving our democracy every four years or every 80 years? Every eight years, we're seeing like Black women coming out in droves, saving our democracy over and over again. Or we're seeing those who are seen as the other, again, coming and saving our democracy from itself. But I don't, I don't, I wonder what does it mean that we sometimes can't stand in our own power or that the narratives are so, like there's a power, I think as Charlene is saying, that is so powerful that it's trying to, trying to get us not to believe in our own power or our own goodness or our own greatness. And I wonder how do we like challenge that? I want to push that. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all, this is going from the sublime to the ridiculous. But hopefully we can stay in the sublime as we imagine the delicious. Y'all, what flavor delights you right now? Mm. Man, deep dark chocolate. <laughs> Come through deep dark chocolate. Come through. Come on through the Let us back in the ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> well, the answer that question, I'm about to go with you. The way I like my Panthers, Oh my, I can I can roll in the ridiculous for a minute. What do you think? What come on, Mackie, what's your flavor? Deep dark chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> you want to answer. I mean, I got to say we've heard a lot of things about lemon and other things like that, but come on. But come on. Yes. Come on. <laughs> Just the, the richness of it. Just the the yes. The melt in your mouth richness that will just stay and linger, but not overpower. Every day. Every day. Hey, Every day. 
consistent with so that's a consensus huh i think we're i think we're consensed <laughs> i don't think it's an accident that you all are the ones uh, with whom we are crossing some kind of threshold. And the thing that you have invited us into, this kind of uh, prophetic witness born of the erotic creativity of your love. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what just happened. Like, every time that Charlene, you would hit a like, ding, that'll breathe, ding. It came out of this back and forth and tug and push and pull and love and think of this and think of that and 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 always had to do with how do we be and make the world that god calls us to be and make mm -hmm. how do we claim this so that's a thank you because god is is do I, did i need that right now is that needed right now and we need it tomorrow too well, thank you all so much for giving us this space to be together and to publicly acknowledge the deep love we have for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thank you too for also being a reflection too of of loving, beautiful friendship as well, because your friendship has brought uh, an experience for other friends to come together, yeah. which is really a beautiful, beautiful expression of love. Mm. So thank you. Mackie and I just want to leave you with these words because it speaks to this moment. Um, the author is Winnie the Pooh. If ever there is tomorrow when we're not together. There's something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe. Stronger than you seem. And smarter than you think. But the most important thing is even if we're apart i'll always, always be with you we'll always be with you we'll always have each other lisa maggie dang <laughs> I, I don't even have the words i know it's been a ride hasn't it yeah the end of our first season yeah and what a beautiful way to end it. I mean, Charlene and Rodney, they just came full circle for us. Uh, brought the spirit in ways that we couldn't have imagined. This friendship thing, Lisa, we're onto something. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And we're going to yep. need it. We're going to need it for the days ahead. That's right. And vision. Mm -hmm. So thank you all for joining us on this uh, six episode exploration of what the love of friends can teach us and also friends who have wisdom about movement, about this moment and about bringing the world for which we long into being. I also want to thank the folks who really made the show and made it possible. Courtney Weber Hoover is our producer from Auburn Seminary and the podcast is made possible by a generous grant 
from the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation. For show notes, episode graphics, or to donate to our work, or for more information about other Auburn programs, please go to www.auburnseminary.org forward slash friends. Be sure to follow Auburn Seminary on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would mean a lot if you would support this work by sharing it with your friends. And also, if you feel it, Apple Podcast ratings and reviews help new friends find us too. Friends for Life was produced by Mackie and me with additional support from Courtney Weber Hoover, Sharon Groves, and David Beasley. The gorgeous illustrated notes from each episode are brought to life by Claudia Lopez. Audio engineering from Courtney with editing on this episode by Lisa, Courtney, David, and me. Thank you all. We love you. We love you. We love you. I love you, Mackie. And I just, I can't even (laughs) say how much I love you, but we know it. We know it. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.